Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me on Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me. I am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching, and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the Om Stars yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Thanks for tuning in to Seek Up, the Yoga Inspiration Show. Today, I'm here with Miriam, who immigrated from Iran in 2018, and she's been living abroad since then. Miriam started yoga during the pandemic, and she's actually only practiced yoga online. Due to the current situation in Iran, Miriam's lost contact with her teachers who are in Iran, and she's been immersed in the yoga lifestyle since the pandemic, and I'm super happy to be here sharing this conversation. So Miriam, welcome. Hi, Kino. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having this opportunity to me to speak up. It means a lot to me and everyone in Iran. So why don't we start off with um, your yoga journey? You've been practicing for a little over two years now, since you said you started during the pandemic. Would you tell everyone kind of like, what, how did you start yoga? How did you find your teachers and how did you connect with them since you're outside of Iran, but then your teachers are Iranian living inside Iran. So how, how did that work? And are your teachers male, female? Where did they study? Um, sure. So actually I've been following you on Instagram and, uh, um, and I was, I was wondering, can I, uh, is it possible for me to do all those poses one day? <laughs> so, and you know, during pandemic, I, to be honest with you, mentally wise, I, I realized that I need it. I need something to give me power. So I decided that I'm going to do yoga no matter what. And since it was a little bit expensive for me to practice it abroad, um, I knew that I knew that some of the uh, Iranian instructors in Iran uh, are doing it online and which would be cheaper for me. So I found my first instructor through Instagram. And, um, since then I've been practicing yoga and, um, now it's my lifestyle. It's, uh, it's a big part of my life. So how did that feel for you to just be cut off from your teachers and what happened? Did the Iranian government just shut off the internet due to the current situation in the country? And, and how did you feel? That's correct. Yeah. I, so we've been cut off from, uh, 
actually they have been cut off from the internet and we have uh, lost the connection, not just uh, with my um, yoga instructors, but with, with my family and beloved ones and friends. I really have no idea uh, what is going on with them. And this is, this feels suffocating, uh, not only for me, to everyone. Um, and you can imagine when, if I just want to talk about yoga, when something becomes your uh, lifestyle, if you lose it, or if you uh, feel that you are, you might lose it, then you will, you feel that a, a big part of your body is disabled. I don't know how to describe how, how, how I don't know how to put it in uh, description, but this is how I feel. So uh, what I do is just um, trying to remember what my instructors used to tell me to do, and I'm doing them uh, by memory, just to keep it up. Wow. Well, good on you for continuing the practice amidst difficulty and uncertain times. It's, it's a, this is one level to be cut off from your teacher, but you also said you're cut off from your family and your friends. You had no contact with them, so you don't know how they're doing. How does that feel? Um, well, I used to talk to my mother and my brothers, uh, on a daily basis since, uh, it's been a week actually that I lost the connection with them. Uh, I really don't know what, what they're doing or, uh, you know, uh, or how they really feel. Cause in Iran, it's like semi-war to be honest with you. And, um, it feels like you are, you've been stuck in a darkness and uh, doesn't feel good. <laughs> Just, uh, but we keep up. But and we keep um, share, resharing hashtags and uh, just to speak up. Now uh, having this opportunity to talk about the, uh, the situation in Iran is my only opportunity to speak up to raise all my brothers and sisters in Iran's voice. To give everybody background, because maybe somebody hasn't heard, would you share what's happening, why there's so much unrest and why these hashtags are going around and why it's important, as many people are saying, to be the voice of Iranians now? Um, it's not a new thing, actually. Um, the governments, the uh, Islamic Republic government um, has been harassing the citizens, all the citizens, with no exception. Uh, since after revolution. Um, but since recent years, people uh, gained the courage to protest. And every time this government shut down the protest by killing them, by uh, sending their anti, so-called anti-riots police on the streets to with batons and weapons just to suffocate people, kill them, but this time is different because a 22-year-old girl um, was arrested by a so-called morality police on the street just because some of her hair stuck out of her scarf, a headscarf, hijab, and, uh, and was beaten to death while in custody. And this just caused a huge rage, um, huge rage between among all the Iranians, not just inside Iran, but abroad, Iranian abroad. And uh, so people in Iran went on a strike, went on a street protesting against this. 
uh, and uh, because the government all, uh, always, when government feels that um, every uh, something is going out of its control, they just start uh, um, just uh, suppressing people by shutting down the internet and uh, just stopping them from the communication to the world, you know, and that's why they cut off the internet just is to it, stop people from communication. So they also, then they also can't communicate with each other inside of Iran because how do, can they send internet messages? Probably not. Well, as far as I, I really have no idea how they communicate inside Iran, but as far as I know, the government like uh, in recent years was planning to establish a new infrastructure called national internet. So I really don't know how it works or if it's uh, operational or not, but definitely it's been, uh, if, if, it, if, it's, if it goes operational, it means that it's under surveillance of government. Mm -hmm. They have the 100% control over it. So mm -hmm. I really have no idea if uh, people can communicate with each other in Iran or how. I really don't know. Mm -hmm. That's got to be so unsettling, just the uncertainty. I know. It's like a suspension, mm -hmm. the feeling of suspension. So let's back up the story a little bit because there were some interesting details. First of all, what was her name? Her name is Mahsa Amini uh, or Gina Amini. Gina is her Kurdish name. She is originally uh, Iranian slash Kurdish. And um, she lives in Sakas. It's the name of a city or a town in west of Iran. Um, she was in Tehran just to just for vacation, just to visit her relatives. And I, I'm not sure if it was um, one day or two days after her arrival to Tehran that thing happened to her and got killed by the government. So she was actually wearing a hijab, but her yeah. hair was sticking out. Yeah. So her hijab let's say was a little bit loose mm -hmm. so you cannot say you can if you see her photo it was like to me it, it looks normal like i i can't even understand why they arrest arrested her i really have no idea but that that thing happened and um as far as i know uh she was uh, complaining about it because she told the police that we are we are uh, we're not locals. We are from the other towns. And my brother is just 16 years old. I cannot leave him. Please let me go. My hijab is okay. But um, um, there are some news around revolving this that she was complaining, and it was exactly at that time that the police, the morality police, um, beat her. Mm -hmm. I don't know with with tool it, it was if it was with baton or I, I don't know what happened exactly, but um, she went on coma mm -hmm. while in custody. And people say um, this is actually I forgot the medical term. There's a kind of medical term. People might have concussion, but then um, right after concussion, they might not have dead brain or brain dead. It takes some time for mm -hmm. the brain to, you know, to go uh, through inflation, inflammation, yeah. and mm -hmm. uh, at, at the end, it will be uh, mm -hmm. brain dead. So it seems like 
there that nobody knows exactly what happened except those particular morality police who are not going to come out and share what they did to her. So we're left kind of piecing together. Well, we, we know that she was taken. We know that she complained. We know that she had a concussion, almost like a forensic autopsy style of investigation. And, and, and it seems like in terms of deductive reasoning that we could, we could estimate that she had a concussion and was denied medical treatment. And therefore the inflammation in the brain expanded, leading to a coma, ultimately leading to her death. So it seems exactly. like there, there, there's like, there's numerous issues. There's the violence issue. There's the repression issue. And there's also the medical negligence issue, which is the devaluation of the life of the, of the woman that was detained. So that I can understand why it's upsetting to so many people on so many levels. Um, exactly. And they even didn't uh, report on her autopsy as well as that uh, her CT scan photos, her, the, the result of CT scan was linked, uh, was leaked into the Internet and it was medically was proven that, yes, she had a brain inflammation, which is resulted by uh, by being beaten by someone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what's the resolution of this? Like, what's the, what's the hope? What can we, what can we think? So people are protesting, but the government is engaging in strict authoritarian kind of, um, you know, efforts to quash the protests and outside of Iran, there are many people that are taking interest and, 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 and supporting. I saw a protest here in, in Copenhagen around the city hall of many people holding up Iranian flags and, and showing their support. But what, what, what's the next step for really the Iranian diaspora and for the people of Iran? Like what, what can happen and, and what should people do to help encourage this uh, movement that started? Well, um, for people like me who have been living abroad for years, I think uh, it's our responsibility to speak up, to be our, to be their voice, uh, to raise awareness uh, around the situation. We can ask the the other governors, the other um, world leaders, to stop to stop uh, supporting this regime by whatever they think, but however they think, but they need to stop to support the regime. And also, uh, I cannot say anything about, like I cannot instruct the people inside Iran, but um, I think that maybe for the people in Iran, the best thing could be boycotting the government by not going to work for one week, two weeks, by not selling any products to the governmental companies or, you know, to just uh, cut their... Uh, providing any services to the governmental companies or to other, um, uh, I don't know, to other, uh, sorry, I cannot how to say this. Maybe yeah, you talk here. No, uh, no, anyone that's affiliated with the government, it sounds yes, like. So, exactly. Affiliated yeah. with the government. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. This is, this would require, you know, a, a coordinated act of bravery. And it seems like the government maybe knows that there is that feeling in the people and that's why they've shut down the communications. So, I mean, that's true. yeah, coming from, you know, coming from the outside, from, from the, the sort of Western centric world, it's sort of like the Western governments of, you know, um, Northern central Europe al aligned with the North American governments of Canada and the United States are definitely taking a hard line 
you know, against Iran, even though the United States lifted some curbs about the internet to try to bring internet access back. But I guess the government of Iran seemed to have good control over that. But then, then there's this question of how, like how much outside influence from other governments that are doing what they do with, with sanctions and, you know, sort of blockading off the country. And then, then, then at some point it has to be turned over to the people. At the same time, exactly. the people are at such a severe disadvantage against an authoritarian regime that has exactly. tightened its grip and tightened its grip and tightened its grip. I'd like to go all the way back to, I guess, two pivotal points that many people who are maybe tuning in might not be clear about. One is for you personally, and one is for maybe um, uh, more broadly in regards to um, Iran, which is when you talk about the revolution, and that many people fled uh, around the revolution. I, 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 know, I know many people, actually, a, a good number of um, people in the Iranian diaspora whose families fled around that revolution. Would you, because mm-hmm. revolution maybe sounds like something good, would you mm-hmm. share with everyone what that revolution was and why so many people had to flee and what the kind of ricochet impact of was that, of that regime change that resulted from that? Um. I'm not sure if I understood your question. Can you, can you please uh, so what, repeat it? Absolutely. So what was the revolution that happened that put this current government in, uh, in place? Yeah. So um, before, uh, I think, yes, the revolution took place in 1979, if I'm not mistaken, 45 years ago. Uh, before before these Ayatollahs, it was Shabi had a king, Muhammad Reza Pahlavi. And he was, in my, in my eyes, not just in my eyes, in many Iranian people's eyes. Um, He was an open-minded person who really wanted Iran to be a developed country, not a developing country. Back then, we had, um, you know, good profile in the whole world. Our airline was the best airline in the Middle East and in the region. And uh, our passport was so strong and people and all, all, let's say all the people have the freedom to choice, to choose. And I, I think even LGBTQT community had freedom uh, in that dynasty. But after revolution, I don't know, actually, I, when I say I don't know, it doesn't mean I don't know. I have talked to my parents and also I have read the history. They all say that Shah or the king um, had no any uh, capacity or bear to accept any comments against him. And he was a dictator. And always I ask my parents or those people, Shah, whoever, whoever he was, was way better than these Ayatollahs. And all of them say, yes, of course. And we are, we are, we regret it. We regret that we went on street uh, chanting against Shah or the king. And if we go back in time, we wouldn't go on a street. It's unanimously they say this. So back then, yes, they said that they didn't have uh, um, freedom of freedom to speak, to um, to speak. To speak there, they didn't have the. Sorry, Kino, I think I'm stuttering here. It's okay. Just take your time. Don't worry. It sounds. It sounds like what you're trying to say is that 
the regime of the Shah, who was the previous regime before the Ayatollahs came in, what, what didn't tolerate uh, criticism directed towards the Shah. And yes. that that created a lot of unhappiness in the community, but that now with the retrospect of living under a more sort of religiously oriented government and mm-hmm. having that be sort of the, the dominant view, then there are people that, that look back and say, well, I would have liked to just not say anything bad about the Shah and have my own personal freedoms because it's not like now, from what I understand what you're saying, it's not like it's not like people can speak freely against the current government either. So now they have no. double negatives. So they can't speak it's, against the current government. They can't yeah. choose their own religion. They can't choose their own dress. They can't choose how they show up in the world, what jobs are appropriate for men and for women. And so, they, and so they've ended up with dramatically less freedoms than they had all those years ago. And the situation has deteriorated rather than improved. Yeah, and the nasty thing is that this government use religion to justify their means, to justify their uh, malicious actions. And, uh, you know, it's uh, even me, I remember that I used to say my prayers uh, up to a certain age, but then I I just uh, started thinking a little bit about this, that if the religion and if saying if saying my prayer means that I accept this religion and these people are representative of of this religion, I don't want to do it again. I don't want to say my prayers. I don't want to call myself a Muslim because unfortunately, these people with these actions uh, create an ugly appearance of islam unfortunately um that's a fact and in a parenthesis i really don't know if uh, you should put it in the podcast but i'm saying this to you i hate whatever they are promoting about islam i hate it you know i really hate it and i hear you so i think it's important for people that don't understand that there's a nuance in the muslim religion that it's just sort of like you see especially in the western world you know the we have the islam is associated with fear and it's very interesting for for people maybe who haven't opened their minds to the different multi-layers of people that have been raised within Islam and maybe are questioned it as you described your own questioning. And then, and then to hear, Oh gosh, there, it, 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 there, there, there's a nuance to this. It's not just all of these people think like the Ayatollah and follow this, you know, blindly that there is this, there is this kind of multi-layered questioning and, and, and in some ways a potential to have an embrace of, 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 of the religion that might be more inclusive and, and softer and kinder. And I think exactly. that that's very useful for people to hear. So Mike, my, my next question to you is why did you leave in 2018? What made you decide to leave your home, your family and travel to a different country? Oh, that's a that's a very good question. Um, you know, I really tried my best in Iran to to enter to one of the best ranking university just to have a bright future in Iran. But as a woman in Iran, even if you are highly educated, even if it doesn't matter which major you happen to study or which university, as long as you're a woman and as long as you're not linked to any governmental mafia. You don't have any social uh, status and your salary is, if I tell you how much my salary was, 
you, I, I'm sure you might laugh or you might cry <laughs> after, af, yes, I've been, I had been putting so much effort to create a bright future in Iran. But after some, after graduation, I, I realized that, okay, in Iran, I will have a dead end future. There is no future in Iran. I, I might go crazy. I might go, I might have mental problems if I stay, but if I go, I would pay the price by leaving my loved ones behind, my friends, my beloved ones, my even my partner behind to go to uh, to go to go abroad um, to seek for a brighter future. And I paid the price. I last year I lost my dad, and I couldn't even make it for his funeral. And this is one of the disadvantages of immigration, you know you it's it's not just uh, and this is not just one example i can give you many examples like why i immigrated from iran to canada and i paid a heavy price but i'm so satisfied that i did it i i'm proud of myself that i did it cuz in iran i i couldn't be who i am now mm. What a powerful and brave story and what a powerful and brave journey. I think people don't understand what it takes to leave your home, your country in search of a better future. It, on some level, travel from the privileged perspective of, you know, North America and Western and Northern Europe sounds like a fantasy. Oh, I'm going to go and follow my dreams and explore this and that and whatnot. But when you're fleeing a situation of repression, exactly. if you, it's a different scenario. It's like, if I could choose, I would like to have all these opportunities and stay with my family and stay mm -hmm. with my culture and stay with everything that I know as home and stay, but I can't. So I'm going to leave and give all of that up. And this is, yeah, and I, this is some, this loss of culture is something I think that people don't necessarily understand when they see someone, you know, uh, emigrate to a, another country to flee to a situation. They don't necessarily understand that this, this human being has given up everything to be here. Exactly. And I had to start from almost scratch because as an immigrant, as an immigrant, it's not like um, you just go and find a job. No, you really need to uh, start from zero, which mm -hmm. I did. But uh, the good thing about the uh, North American or Western countries is that, um, as opposed to Iran, unfortunately, you make sure that if you work hard, you will make progress, and you're not. It's not just like. Uh, uh, running on treadmill and not going forward you know mm -hmm. you run and you really move forward and um yeah i feel privileged actually i will i feel privileged to um to be to be brave enough to accept that i'm going to leave uh, everything behind to seek for a bright future but i wish i wish i could find that bright future in my homeland mm -hmm. And that's so that, that that I think that's just so meaningful and so important and, so, and a really important layer to to you know for the for the story of everything that's happening because you had this opportunity. Maybe there are many other people that also want the opportunity to to to, to receive the same education, to receive the same opportunities. 
whether whether they whether they have the opportunity even to leave. Maybe that's a path that's not available to some people as well. And that's correct. For, for for now, I guess there's I guess two more practical questions. I would imagine that people that practice yoga uh, might wonder. Are people allowed to practice yoga in Iran? You know, do the morality police come for you if they see you in downward dog? Or, you know, do you, do you, would you have to do yoga in the hijab and then it's okay? Only women classes and only men classes? Or how does it work? That's a very good and a smart question, Kino. So um, as opposed to Western countries, we don't have any missed class, you can imagine. Uh, unfortunately, because I know in Miss class, you can learn a lot. It's not, it's, uh, yoga is not gender oriented kind of, uh, exercise. Uh, you can learn. Um, but I know there are some underground mixed classes. Uh, and I know that those people are taking a big risk to have those classes, but I know there are those classes, uh, which definitely they cannot promote their workshops or studios. I just, you can just hear by your friends. It's not like on Instagram that you can go, no. And yeah, and as you can, uh, as you mentioned, it's separate, women, men, and definitely it's indoor, it's not outdoor. Well, of course, men can do it outdoor, but women, <laughs> if they want to do outdoor, which I doubt uh, that they are allowed to, because I will give you an example why I think this. Nobody, nobody have tried it before. Um, it's always indoor studios in a very small group. Because I tell you why, because in any gathering, external gathering, you need to get the permission from the government and you need to go through a headache, a big headache, um, bureaucracy, you know, those paperworks. And at the end of the day, definitely they will tell you, no, well, you cannot do it because actually I don't know how to translate this into English, but um, they say as, the, as a reason, they will tell you it's a kind of promotion for sexual kind of mm -hmm. activity, which is very <laughs> weird and like, you know, mind blowing. Um, so, yeah. Um, I wanted to give you an example why I think that even women with hijab cannot do it out uh, outdoor. Uh, women in Iran right now, they're not allowed to bike even with hijab. By themselves, they can't do it. To, no, they used to do it, but then this morality police uh, stopped them. So, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, this is the fact. And also I know... So they cannot bike and they cannot drive by themselves? They no, no, to, they, it, can, they can drive, drive they can the drive. car, but they cannot bike. They cannot okay. bike. Interesting. Why? That seems so... Mm, exactly the same reason. It's a kind of sexu uh, sexual activity. It's okay. like, like kind of mesmerizing, kind of, okay. you know, kind of... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, even if you're repeating it to yourself, you know, you cannot understand the logic behind it. But I don't know how they think or what's their mindset or what's the logic behind these restrictions. You know... You know, I think they are trying their best to restrict, to uh, curb the happiness and well-being of people in general, mm. just mm. to, it will, because it will be easier to control people, right? If people are not happy, if they're not uh, feeling well, then uh, they are depressed, they are disappointed. You can control them easily, right? Up so to a point, trying, I guess, you know. They are trying their best to do it, yeah. 
And another example, I don't know if you have time or not, but mm -hmm, another absolutely. example, we have some parks. Um, actually, we had some parks. I'm not sure. Actually, I, I don't know what's happening right now. But uh, as far as I remember, six years ago, I used to go, I used to go early mornings in one of the parks near uh, where I was living. And in those parks, there, there were uh, small groups of people uh, doing aerobics in early morning. And after some time, we realized that we are not allowed to do it anymore because there are music and it's mixed, like women and men. And I know that the leader of that group bribed the police just to, you know, just to get the permission that please, it's just, it's just an exercise, aerobics, and we have music. Yeah, let people be happy. Just, just you know. And then, um, thankfully, they did. They kept kept going like that. But I didn't go. At, I didn't. Um, I stopped going there because I knew that if I go, it will make me um, be anxious. Mm -hmm. I cannot exercise with fear. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. And you don't know if the morality police are going to come in and maybe they took yeah. the bribe, but it wasn't enough. And, you know, you could they could change their mind at any moment. I, I really understand. You can't exactly. exercise, certainly can't do yoga in that atmosphere. Um, but at the, at the same time, there's no talk in the government mm -hmm. about that yoga is against Islam. It, is that true? It's mostly just we don't oh. want you to do it in public because it's too sexual. Exactly. Look, we have many Islamic countries like Qatar, like Emirates, like even Saudi. Saudi now they have uh, they they give freedom for women to choose for their outfit. Now they don't have compulsory hijab. Uh, women can go out without hijab. These countries are also Islamic. So it doesn't mean that um, going out without hijab is against Islam. No. Or uh, exercising is against Islam. No. Or music against Islam. No, no. This, these are just Islamophobia kind of um, um, philosophy, which I don't believe in. Um, yeah, like even in Qatar, people are exercising, are running, swimming. We have uh, like mixed beaches. Nobody can tell them anything. Because mm -hmm. compared to Iran, these Islamic countries have more freedom. And that's why they're more developed. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, in Qatar, uh, Americans, Europeans, Australians are investing on so many events. They're, 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 their doors are open to the whole globe. But unfortunately, in my homeland, they close the doors. They put so many restrictions on people. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I, you know, Qatar and is one of those these countries that suddenly appeared, and um, they built this amazing airport. So I had my first contact with Qatar on a stopover on the way to India. And I thought, oh, what is this? And I was yeah. so overwhelmed with how beautiful and how how much attention to detail and all of the finishing and yeah. then they started to promote this uh, like tourism within Qatar exactly. and so it's like a totally different mentality and I, I yeah I really I, I again want everybody who's tuning in to start to appreciate the, the nuance and difference between 
you know, uh, when they look at some of the restrictions that they are reading about from the you know Iranian government, that they should be very careful to not just blatantly associate that with Islam, that to be very conscious of associating that with the Iranian government using that as a tool to exactly. maintain their authoritarian control. And, you know, any religion can be used as a tool for that, you know? So, I mean, uh, to, to, to draw maybe um, sort of a, uh, maybe an appropriate parallel, but maybe appropriate, we're not sure what's going on, but probably not that bad, but, you know, like Christianity and The Handmaid's Tale, if anybody's seen that series, is, is used for uh, severe authoritarian ends. So any, any, any teaching can be used as a tool to, for exactly. repression. So that's important for people who are listening. Then, exactly. then the last question is to leave people in the yoga community. Why should yogis pay attention? Why, should, why is this important to the yoga community? And what, what action can say um, a solitary yoga practitioner who's just hearing about this, you know, what, what can, what can each of us do and why should it matter to the yoga community? Um, well, I think yogis are, could be leaders because they are the most, in my eyes, they are the most peaceful, uh, lovable people who want to spread love and, um, and and they can they can raise our voice because they do it out of love. Because um, yoga is not just doing poses or doing advanced yoga or power yoga. No, they do meditation. They are um, they they know themselves. They they know love. They know all of us. Each of us are uh, one body. I'm not separate from you you're not separate from me we are all one person we are all god in my eyes and um, we can be the voice we can um get this message through to the world and i think um i hope i have a faith that um love will win i i i, I share your faith in that even if we have to take the very long view i i completely agree and the more that we practice yoga, the more that love wins in our own hearts. And then whatever action we take in the world can be, you know, emboldened and fueled by, by the love that's in our hearts. So I think that's a great way to encourage everyone to keep sharing and keep sharing from a place of love and consciousness and um, to stay abreast of all of the, the updates. And uh, it takes nothing to reshare some stories that may reach exactly. one more person. So everybody keep keep tuning in and keep sharing. And Mary, I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing so bravely and so openly your story and uh, your personal story, your country's story. And uh, I just uh, really, really commend you. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Kino. Thank you. It means a lot to me that you give this opportunity to me and the other Iranian yoga practitioners. Just sending love from here to there. And thank you. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. 
You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.